All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today, Joseph Fritz. Joe has been the executive director of the Investment Casting Institute since 2013. With over 35 years experience, Joe has contributed to a number of programs, including the Navy's Trident II, Phalanx, and Aegis programs, the Air Force's Joint Strike fighter program and Boeing 787 Dreamliner program. Joe holds degrees in engineering from the University of Connecticut and an MBA from Union College. Joe and I actually had the opportunity to work together when we were in Puerto Rico at his association annual meeting. And he was also kind enough to let me bring my mom with me. So <laughs> we had a great time together. So Joe, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Lisa. And we did have a good time in Puerto Rico, and it was a distinct pleasure meeting your mother and uh, having you speak at our event. Uh, you were extremely well-received, and I had many people requesting that we share the recording of the event with folks on their staff so that they can learn from, uh, from you about gratitude in the workplace. Yeah, well, and it was a, and it was almost like back in the day, back in the olden days when we used to be able to have live events. So <laughs> one of it, those. It does seem like quite a long time since we've been able to do so. Yeah. Uh, the pandemic last year wiped out every live event that we had with the exception of uh, one training program that was conducted in February. Wow. So, uh, well, share with us just a little bit about your background, and then we'll get into the details as far as what the, this last year has meant to you, your association members, and, and really what you're hearing in the industry right now. So tell us about you, Joe. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, again, that's a loaded question. But uh, as we could tell from your introduction, uh, I have a very strong military design background. And that was really a big part of the of uh, my career when I first got out of college, uh, working through things until the end of the Cold War. And when the Berlin Wall came down, I was working as a design engineer for General Electric in their uh, Naval Ordnance Division. And it was like, this bright young man better find something else to do with the, without a Cold War to uh, be building up armaments for so I applied for a blind ad in the Wall Street Journal. And I had, nobody ever gets a job on a blind ad. And it, uh, they were looking for a, a, an engineer with the aerospace experience and an advanced business degree. So a couple of my friends pushed me to apply for it. And I ended up changing industries completely and finding myself in the world of metals and uh, material science. And since 1990, I have been working in the investment casting industry and parallel industries. I've stepped out and in a couple of times, but I became fascinated with technology and the science uh, involved with uh, creating precision metal components using this process uh, to the point that I could actually say that I love the industry. Uh, it was around 1990, no, 2000. 
that the business colleague of mine was uh, solicited my help in looking at and helping him prepare his presentation for applying for the job that I'm in right now. I, I got very excited about this. I go, Mike, this is the perfect job for me. And he laughed at me and he said, you know, the only difference is I know the board of directors and you don't. <laughs> so it was back in the 2013. Mike picks up the phone and he calls and he says, hey, Joe, I'm planning on retiring. Uh, are you going to throw your hat in the ring? And well, after uh, some discussions and a series of interviews, I found myself as the executive director of the Investment Casting Institute. And we're a 501c6 nonprofit trade association. We have approximately 265 member companies throughout the United States and some international. And our focus is on bringing, first off, benefits to our members, especially the, the smaller members. We've got a couple of very large companies, but the smaller companies are the ones that really derive benefit from working with us. So we offer uh, educational benefits. We try to work up discount programs to support them. We offer uh, networking opportunities. And really, a big part of my job, I believe, is bringing people together, facilitating communication. And uh, the ICI has afforded me that opportunity. In addition to focusing on our members, we also focus on the customer base. Part of our charter is to educate the customer as to the benefits of investment casting versus other metal forming technologies. Now, that's not to say that our role is to push investment. Quite often, people will come to me looking for a referral to somebody who can make an investment casting for them. And when I look at their drawing or speak to them, I go, you don't want to use investment casting. This is better made as a sand casting or a die casting or a fabrication, depending on the configuration. So we try to not only bring people together, but make sure that they're going to be in good, long-lasting relationships. And lastly, which I view as the third leg of the stool of what we do, we have three legs on every stool, is sustainability is very important to us. So we work with young people. We have a an associated trade association. It's a 501c3. It's a nonprofit, the Foundry Educational Foundation. And they work uh, very closely with the schools and young people. And through them, we've worked to support their initiatives, as well as having direct contact with the schools on our own. I can often be found talking to a bunch of uh, high school juniors and seniors, and sometimes junior high school kids, as well as going to the universities. And it's very fulfilling when you put a spark in somebody's eye and they come and talk to you afterwards. It's uh, one thing to talk about the process and the training and education that gets involved with it. But when you start passing out parts and components that show examples of what you can do with this process, it sometimes ignites a fever in some of the students. And, and that's a great thing. I've been doing this now going on to eight years. And there are kids that I met in junior high schools and in high schools and in college, and they keep in touch with me and let me know what they're doing. And they're smart because they're learning how to network right from the start. So there's some goodness there. And it, it's very gratifying to do what I do right now. 
Oh, there, there's so many different ways we can go in this conversation. Number one, I didn't know about your stalking your current job for 13 years till the <laughs> other guy retired. <laughs> that was pretty good. And succession planning was already in place. But I really like what you talked about the last time with sustainability and, and bringing new people into the industry. Because with all of the manufacturing uh, manufacturers and manufacturing associations that I work with, that seems to be the, the main thing that they struggle with is how do you bring these new generations into the workplace? And from you not only starting earlier going into high schools and stuff, but giving them that, that physical component, something that they can hold in their hand and building those relationships with those people that continue to keep in touch with you. So obviously that's working. So how are you not only as a person, but as an, an industry with your members communicating that, that same philosophy as far as connecting with the newer generations coming in? First off, uh, I'd like to point out that the industry clearly has identified that there's a need for sustainability. Every year we conduct a, a house business report. In fact, we're currently collecting survey results for our uh, 2020 house business report. So, you know, it's a year in review. But I can go year after year and I can tell you that the number one concern is attracting, training, and retaining new employees. And what we've seen in recent times, and uh, when I say recent, I'm showing my age. Recent, I'm talking the past 10 years. But uh, over the past 10 years, we've seen much greater difficulty in retaining those employees. I've heard stories of... Uh, from foundries where they've hired someone, they show up late for the first day of work, and then they never come back again. Uh, I had spoken to one foundry, and this is a very high-tech, very clean foundry, excellent benefits, where they have over a 90% turnover of new employees in the first year, which uh, we've never seen that before. Um, historically, you go back to uh, when I entered the industry, you would people would get in and you'd see people in going into companies new hires minimum of two year commitment if not longer but what what's a very curious thing is when i walked into my first investment casting foundry in 1990 i noticed that the majority of the people that that i was dealing with were my contemporaries or older okay but mostly my contemporaries I don't want to say it's a sad thing, but the concerning thing is that when I walk into a foundry today, most of the people I see are my contemporaries. Mm. And you would think that you'd see a lot more young people in the industry. I've taken, I personally have tried to sit back and try to understand what that is. And some people say, oh, it's the millennial phenomenon or it's people don't want to get their hands dirty. We're becoming a service economy. And, and I hear all those comments. The United States was built on manufacturing, and manufacturing is our future, but it's a changing and evolving future. So you take a look. What I've done is I take a look at what's exciting these young kids today, and one, one of the big things is additive manufacturing. I go every high school, and a lot of the junior high schools have 3D printers, and these kids are clamoring to those classes. And 
I think part of it is because it's not just an academic thing. You could put things into play and build something. And the fact that you can do it in class and combine some of your teachings uh, involved with that, I, I think they get excited about that. So what I try to do, at least when working with these young people, is try to make the connection because additive manufacturing is a very important part of what we do. Hmm. Now, some people view printed metal products as a competing technology to investment casting, and in certain aspects it is, but you you print more than metal. You print plastic, resins, polymers. There's all sorts of stuff that you can print. And it all plays a role in what we do. Since the uh, 1990s, for example, additive manufacturing was largely used for doing prototype work where we would print a pattern instead of injecting a wax. And maybe I should give you a, a high-level view of how our process works. In, in effect, in an in investment casting process, which is also called the lost wax process, you start with a wax pattern, which looks like the finished product that you, the same configuration of what you want to make in metal. You, you take that and typically you take several of them and assemble them onto a wax bar, something that we call a sprue, and, and build a cluster of parts. Then they take that and they dip it into a ceramic slurry and back it up with a stucco let it dry, and then they repeat till you build a laminated ceramic shell around all the waxes. Then they remove the wax. Basically, you melt it out. You fire the mold so it becomes hard, and you bring it to a temperature that the metal will, it'll accept the metal easily, and you pour the metal into the ceramic mold. You break the shell off, cut the parts off, and clean them up, and you have a finished metal product. Well, in, in normal production, you, you will get, you will build a metal tool to inject the wax into to make those wax patterns. But in prototype development, it's very costly if you've got to go build a 30,000 or a 100,000 or a $300,000 tool to work on a design that's changing. So you would generally get a CAD file and you would print a, back then it was a, a simple stereolithographic pattern an SLA, we call it, to replace the wax pattern and build the shell around that. You can make parts. The customer can take, put them in their engine or their automobile or so forth and do evaluations on it, modify the designs until you get to a point that you have a stable design that you are willing then to go cut metal on and build a tool for it. So that's kind of where it first got introduced to our industry. You look at it today with the evolution of the additive manufacturing technology, people are printing patterns for low rate production to replace waxes. Again, you're not going to build a tool for a run of 20 parts. Right. Um, so it's still used for prototyping. It's used for low rate production. But what you're also finding is now you can print ceramics. So instead of printing a wax pattern or a, a plastic pattern to dip into a shell, some people are actually printing the shells themselves with all the internal passages right out of the chute. Hmm. Now, now, is this a disruptive technology? It's more of an enabling technology because it, the, the process is slow. It's not suitable for high rate production and it's costly, but there are a lot of benefits from it. And 
one of the things I try to do when putting the spark in these young kids is show them some printed patterns and show them the transition and let them know that it, that it can lead to lots of things. It also helps when you talk about the opportunities and the availability of positions and the long-term prospects. I'll tell you, I've seen the people who have entered the industry with high school degrees who are now general managers and vice presidents of companies because they've, they've done what it takes. They've put in the effort and they've done very well with it. Have you reached out to, this is reaching out to the kids, but what about guidance counselors or teachers or anything getting into the schools for things like manufacturing day? Because it's, it's one thing to get the kids inspired, but we also need to change the conversation with the parents, with the guidance counselors, so that they're not so focused on the four-year college degree. Because as you just demonstrated with somebody with a high school diploma, they could be running a plant as part of their career path. Right. And uh, we, we do that. In fact, it doesn't stop with them. It also, a, a, a lot of what we do to support the integration of uh, students and keeping the students is also help educate our members and the foundries. It's uh, full stem to stern. But uh, we do attend career days, uh, manufacturing days. I had mentioned the Foundry Educational Foundation. They run an event uh, every November, which we attend and support. I have uh, personally spoken with career counselors and uh, teachers in the schools that I've been invited to go in to speak at. I have also spoken with not the not PTAs, but the uh, these uh, various school districts that are looking to get back into some of the uh, more basics, realizing that the curriculum we have today is really straight away from the the trades. Is yeah. straight away, I mean, it's a very different world. Case in point, I went to to a school with uh, uh, our business administrator, Nora Gambra. You've met Nora. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. and, and, and we went there to talk to these kids at a junior high school in Jamaica, Queens, New York. And uh, we get there, and it's a gigantic school, and the kids were amazing. It was probably the most attentive group we ever spoke with. Then afterwards, I'm talking with the instructors and some of the counselors there, and they were saying, well, we used to be a Votech school, but uh, now it's basically reading, writing, and arithmetic, but we'd like to get our foundry back up and running. I go, you have a foundry? And uh, they took me for a tour, and they have a foundry that those kids are hungry wow. to get in and use. And right now, it's just basically used as a storage area for props for the theater group. Mm. So uh, I know they're taking steps to, to bring that online, and we have offered uh, our technology and our services to help them out in any way we can. So there, I think there's a recognized need among uh, the academic community. The very fact that uh, we were invited in and then they made a point of showing me what they want to do. I think that there is an issue connecting with the parents. Right. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, my father, even with me, my father goes, you want to be smart. You want to get a college degree. You want to work with your mind and not your hands. You know, my father, first generation American, and he really had a vision for my future. I was somebody who always enjoyed working with his hands. And there are a lot of kids out there that do. 
I think that part of my going to higher education was because it was my my father's dream. I don't uh, regret it at all because I still get my hands dirty and mostly in my garage rather than uh, in the workplace. But having a, having a desire to, to manufacture and see things made, it's, it's not something that is inbred into you or something that uh, you are learned or is forced upon you. You either like seeing things come together and build things and make things and design things or you don't. Right. And and really, that's something that has to be nurtured. And quite often, I have seen kids who really want to do this. And, oh, but my father wants me to be a doctor. Right. Or, but no, my my mom is really thinks I should be a lawyer. And I and I always ask, what is it that you want to do? Because that's the key thing. You have to appeal to their interests. You can't force an interest upon anybody. And uh, one of the things I always tell these kids, I go, what is it that you love to do? Right. Pick what you love to do and make that your career goal, your career objectives. And as the old saying goes, you'll never work a day in your life. We look at from when your father was going, getting started, and he wanted you to go to college so you could have a quote unquote better life than he did. But unfortunately, we've had two generations of everybody going to college. Now these kids are coming out with tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt for either something that they don't want to be doing because mommy and daddy told them to go to college or something that they can't find a job in their chosen degree. So turning it around and saying, listen, you have a stable job with something that you love to do, working with your hands, great benefits, very little debt that you will amass by going directly from high school to a tech school and uh, directly into the trades like that. Mm -hmm. So it's just really changing that conversation that the one that we were just talking about was two generations ago or a couple generations ago where college was where you could, and I don't want to say that you could actually get something from college, but there's so much competition now and we don't have enough people that are being exposed at that young age to say, wow, this is cool. I can work with my hands. This is what I want to do. And having mom and dad be okay with that. Uh, and that's very true. That's very true. But that's not to, uh, to downplay the importance of college graduates oh, in this field yeah. as well. You, you, sure. you, you need the engineers, you need the accountants, you need the uh, the marketing people. But the the real main force, the, the, the key people that make the, this industry strong and great are the people who are there actually doing, the people who have a passion for it, the people who focus on quality, the people who are trying to improve things. And hopefully, that's stem to stern from the person who was hired to push the broom to the guy who's running the corporation. Everybody it would be great if everybody had that passion. But right. it's, the pe it's the people on the shop floor that really make things happen because they're the ones who are going to put quality into a product. And they're the ones who are going to recognize when a product is lacking in quality before anybody else does. What are you seeing as far as what some of your members are doing? You've shared what you've done to change that conversation and to attract people, but are there some best practices that you've heard from your members? Are, are they doing something else that's unique that might be helpful to somebody tuning in today? 
first off, one of the things that uh, we see a lot of our members doing is duplicating what we do, but they go to their local schools, their local high schools, because there are, there are kids that aren't going to go on to college and they uh, try to make an appeal to them as far as we have opportunities, we have an industry and they invite them in for a tour, uh, bringing uh, young people into a, a foundry setting or even uh, the suppliers to the industry, people who make the tools and dyes, people who build equipment, people who process and manufacture direct materials, bringing these people in to show them what you do and let them see engaged workers. But it's not all about work. There's always, there's always a social aspect to varying degrees in any organization. And it's, it's important that, hey, let's take a walk by our cafeteria. Let's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to walk by and let them see a communications board that shows what social activities are going on. Work is more than work. And in many regards, work is, it, it's a family. People who uh, get into a company, stay with a company a long time, relationships are built, and it really makes working that much more pleasurable to be able to enjoy the people you're working with, to be able to help the people you're working with in and out of work and so forth. So it, that exposure is a big thing. Yeah, of course, there's always salary and benefits. These things are, are important. And uh, those are extrinsic benefits. Those are the things that will typically get somebody to get up in the morning and come to work and and start their day but getting them engaged that's an intrinsic benefit it's got to come from inside somebody that's out of the interestingness of what they're doing their desire to be in the environment and it's important that companies find their unique ways to touch the intrinsic nature that lies within each of us i mean a lot of people have no interest at all in being in a foundry or doing anything, so they'll, they'll never touch that person. But right. finding that spark in the young person who wants to make a difference, even talking about the markets, you bring somebody into your operation and say, hey, we are manufacturing aerospace components, you know, and somebody might be very interested in jet engines or uh, space flight. They might be interested in the military aspect of things. Other people may have in, uh, may have an interest in biomedical. And if uh, you're running a foundry that does orthopedic implants or you're making a, a castings for medical equipment and devices, highlighting what you do besides the process, talk about all the people you touch. Yep. It, you know, in the United States alone, pre-pandemic, we were we were a six billion dollar industry. Uh, last year, the uh, sales fell uh, to about four point six billion in the United States, which is about a twenty three percent decline. Look at it globally; it's a fourteen point three billion dollar industry worldwide. Pre pandemic, that number dropped to oh, just below twelve billion dollars. But the industry touches every aspect of life, and. You may realize it or not realize it, but jewelry you're wearing, odds are, was made with investment casting. I had mentioned orthopedic implants. I had mentioned the plane you flew in, the, the defense equipment that keeps us safe. 
turbocharger in your dad's hot rod. There's a wide variety of things. Um, the oil and gas industry is very dependent on this. So showing young people the far reaches that your foundry has or your operation has, it doesn't have to be a foundry, this can apply to any industry. Letting these young people know that what you're doing is going to help all these industries and focus on that. That's just as important as the work at hand because, right. you know, we're all multidimensional. All right. We're not just interested in, I want to make castings. Well, of course not. Artwork. Every time you drive by a, a town center and you see a memorial, a statue that's made out of uh, bronze, that's an investment casting. The art community is a gigantic community. You don't know how many artists are employed by art foundries. It is absolutely amazing. So somebody will say, well, gee, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in art and sculpting. I'm not interested in science and engineering and manufacturing. There's opportunities. Sounds like it's really starting the conversation at a, a much younger age than people think. Like you had mentioned working with the trade and tech schools of, of building those relationships. I had one of my foundry clients that they were having a, a company meeting and they were shutting down the foundry for the day. So they figured, hey, this is it's safe. Why don't we have a bring your family to work day? And they were able to, the managers are like, well, how excited can these guys be? I mean, they're on the line all day doing the same thing. But the pride that they that they showed of this is what I do and this is what I make. And there was probably that small percentage of their children that they were walking through the foundry thinking, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. But if they have no exposure, talked about relating it to the printed uh, additive manufacturing, the printed all of these different things. And do you want to be involved in aerospace? Do you want to be involved in art? but actually showing that, inviting them to your plant, showing the process, this is where you'll work, this is what you'll do, this is the immediate gratification of what comes out of here and the parts that you're contributing to, that's how we get people to come in and like you, fall in love with an industry and don't wanna leave and they're not coming in sight unseen, not having any idea what they're getting into and ghosting you by lunch. <laughs> so. No, that, that's very true. And, and I'll tell you that, that having the open house, bringing your, your kids to work, uh, when you those opportunities are there, it does something because I will tell you, there are many foundries that I visit where the father and the son are working and the, and the grandfather had retired from there. It, it's almost like it becomes a, a family business, but it becomes a, a multi-generational opportunity because of the multifaceted nature of it, the excitement, the, the fact that you touch so many things. And I, I think a lot of it, uh, you know, like father, like son, it, if uh, or like mother, like daughter, you have to be politically correct. If, right. You know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And uh, there are great opportunities here. And why would you not want to share that with your children? Why would you not want them to see what you do to see that there's not only opportunity, 
but there's tremendous opportunity. You, you, you don't have to be somebody who handles molds and, and pours metal, even though you may love doing that. It might be the only job for you, but you bring them into and you show them how proud you are about what you do, but they'll see what everybody else does. And they're seeing more than a foundry. They're seeing, like I say, a family, uh, a well-run business that has a, a social aspect to it and so forth. It's a family. And uh, and they get to see that. And there's a, a feeling of security when you're, yeah. when you're in that type of environment. And a lot of young people want security. A lot of one people want, young people want to feel that they have a future. And I think that's the important thing, one of the important things that we have to highlight, that this has a future. This is not an industry that's going to die. It's an industry that grows. We have grown nonstop in this industry over the past decade, with the exception of the pandemic. And and I think largely because it's such a diversified industry that when when there might be a decline in oil and gas, you might see uh, things picking up in aerospace, or you might see things picking up in automotive when there's a, a decline in food processing equipment. Right. You know, you look at orthopedic implants, right now it is thriving up the baby boomer market. You Absolutely. Know, <laughs> but it's also fighting its way into the young athlete market because they have done... Uh, the the designers of these products have been focused more and more on non in, uh, on minimizing uh, minimizing the evasiveness of the surgeries that they used to implant these things, and they've worked on making these implants last longer. So younger people who might get injured in a sporting event would be more open to. Uh, using these things, uh, you having an implant done. So that market is growing because of the baby boomers, but it's it's also picking up because of the general acceptance among the younger population. So the diversity yeah. has kept this industry growing. Well, Joe, it, it has been, uh, I could talk to you about this all day. And the nice thing about it is whether you're listening and you're in a foundry or just in general manufacturing, all the things are equally as far as reaching out to younger generations and working with your local tech schools. And and I know that uh, you're probably as inspired and as passionate about your industry. You're going to go a long way as, as Joe has shared with us. So Joe, if somebody did want to connect with you to learn more about investment casting or what you're doing at ICI, what's the best way for them to do that? You could contact us either via calling our office, in, which is in Montville, New Jersey. The phone number is 201-573-9770. The, the automated message will give you uh, my extension. You hit that, it'll come right to my cell phone. That's the best way to get a hold of me if you want to speak to me personally. Or you can go to our website and learn all about the process. We have Lots of materials in the public domain. We publish a magazine, which is the uh, uh, world's only monthly publication dedicated to investment casting. And uh, that's available right off of our landing page. That's called InCast Magazine. So I, I invite you to come to our website, which is investmentcasting.org. O-R-G. So all one word, investmentcasting.org. Give me a call or check out the website. My email's on the website as well. 
All right. Well, Joe, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's been a real thrill. Thank you very much for inviting me. You're welcome. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.